Uh, I cheated a lot throughout school. Um, I cheated on tests. I copied off of people's homework. Um, the, the, probably one of the worst ones that comes, this is just, oh. one of the worst ones that comes to mind is in English class uh, in 10th grade, I had Miss Warden. She only taught briefly at Fletcher High School. Um, and uh, we had these like weekly chapter outlines that we have to do in a book that we were reading. And uh, I hadn't done it, and she called for us to turn them in. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot my, my locker. Let me go grab it real quick. I hadn't done them. Um, and so I, like, sprint to my locker, grab the book, and on the way back, I'm just randomly underlining words and writing words in the margin that have nothing to do with what the chapter's about. And I hand it in to her. And at the end of the class, she says, hey, Cole, like, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, of course. What's going on? She said, uh, it seems to me that you probably didn't do your chapter outline. And what it looks like is you just kind of underline random words. Uh, and rather than come clean in that moment, I decided instead to steer into the curve and make her feel bad for accusing me of cheating. And so I said, are you kidding me, Miss Warden? Look at all my grades. Look at my, my dedication to your class thus far. How would you say that I'm a cheater? And almost got her to apologize to me so that she didn't think that I was a cheater. Uh, so that's unfortunately my, uh, my history in the cheating game. Uh, tonight, as we've continued in this series of School Home and the Gospel, uh, the thing is that we're talking about tonight is, is that right there. All the small things. Uh, and if you're old enough or cool enough, you probably have recognized that as a song by a band called Blink-182. Um, and other than the pat on the back I'm giving you right now, this message has nothing to do with that song. Um, and quite frankly, that song has nothing to do with anything. I read the lyrics the other day, and it's essentially just the chorus over and over again. I, I, I don't know if that's... It was, it's not that great of a song. Never, that's beside the point. Um, we were talking about school, home, and the gospel. And originally, we were going to title this series homeschool in the gospel, but we figured that for a lot of you, that'd be hard to understand because you just think they were talking to homeschoolers, but that it is no way we're talking about. And so if you were from my alma mater, like Fletcher High School, you would have been very confused. And so we went with school, home, and the gospel. And the whole idea is what does God have to do with our life outside of Sunday? What does God have to do with life outside of this room, life outside of a Sunday afternoon uh, when we maybe go to church or uh, get our God in for the week, uh, and how does God actually affect our schoolwork? How does God, God affect uh, our work life? How does God affect our home life? And so continuing that conversation tonight, um, the thing that I want to talk about tonight is that all these small things, there's all these small opportunities, these small challenges in our lives that surface uh, in school and in home, um, but tonight we're talking just about school. And my, my main point of all of this is that small acts of obedience have a huge impact, and you can write that down in your notes, that small acts of obedience have a huge impact. A really popular um, author and pastor, Andy Stanley, wrote a book called The Principle of the Path. And he put it like this. He said that direction, not your intention, determines your destination. And to put that more simply, what it means is that if I want to end up in California, which is west of where we are right now, that means that if I wanted to get there you know, by the end of the week, that probably by tomorrow I would be more west than I am right now, and the following day I would be more west than the day I was before, and that I would pass through Louisiana and then on to Texas and Arizona and out to California, and I'd arrive at California because my direction was taking me there. But if instead I decided I want to go to California and I sat on my couch for the next week, I couldn't assume that I would just end up in California. And so the same thing is true of our school lives. And if we want God's impact to carry outside of these doors, that means that we have to honor God with our decisions outside of these doors. 
And so you can even equate Andy Stanley's quote where he talks about directions, that directions is this whole concept of really times in our life when we're either obedient or disobedient, which I know even from the very beginning is a super unpopular word to hear, obedience, because it seems like it's you know, only uh, referred to for like a pet or somebody that's beneath you. But obedience, as we'll come to realize tonight, is a very good thing. So if you would, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And the reason why we're open up in there is because I think for a lot of you, the, the threshold of why all these small things don't matter, why cheating on a test doesn't matter, why copying someone's homework doesn't matter, why uh, however I behave at homecoming doesn't matter, is because we have this notion that everybody else does it the same way. So if... if uh, Katie's going to cheat, then I should cheat. And if Stan's going to cheat, well, I'm going to cheat because I, he shouldn't get a better grade than me by cheating. Um, but we see that God's calling on our life is in no way to be the same. It's to be very different from the environment that we're surrounded in. So you see in verse 2 of chapter 12, if you want to read along with me or read along on the screen, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test what is, and test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so right from the very beginning, we have to understand that when it comes to our school life, our home life, and the gospel, that there's a different standard set for us who claim and call God um, our, our provider, our, our, our shaper in life. And so one of the things, too, that I want to address from the very beginning and I think in a lot of ways that titling my message, uh, All the Small Things, is kind of counterproductive to one of the initial ideas of the whole uh, talk tonight is just that, um, is that there really is no such thing as a small thing. And the last time I got to speak at United, I talked um, a lot about that there's an enemy, that there's a force out there that's actively rooting against your relationship with God, that there's um, a force out there that his greatest desire is to separate you from your relationship with God eternally. And he can do that in a number of different ways and a number of different practices. He's, he's going to try to do it through convincing you that you're unforgiven, that you're unloved, that you've done too much to be forgiven for, uh, that you're distant, that um, you've got nothing of worth in your life. But another way that he might try to do that is through buying or getting us to buy into the deception that there's big and little things. Now, we may be fully believing that there's big and little things. And so it's easy for us to say, okay, well, Cole, obviously like cheating on a test is different from killing somebody. But what scripture says and what God says is that he sees sin as sin and that in every regard when we would act in disobedience to God's will, it's equally detestable in his eyes. And it was equally to blame for our separation from him. And it was equally to blame for the death of his son on the cross. One of, the, one of the verses I really liked that, that points to this, that points to the fact that, that God doesn't see partiality, or there's no partiality in sin, is that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, Jesus is, is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's got all these people around him, and he chooses now to say stuff like this. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says a brother or sister is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
So I don't know about you, but there's been a time in my life when I've been angry with somebody, and maybe I didn't actually kill them. But what God is saying here is that those are the same. And the reason why they're the same is because that God's demand on our life is perfection. His goal from the very beginning, or his, his I don't know if it was his goal, because Jesus was his goal, but his, his design from the beginning is that Jesus would come, but I think he would prefer for us to be perfect. He would, he would have hoped that we would have chosen him every single time, but that just wasn't the case. Sin entered the world in the very beginning with the very first creation, and has been a part of humanity ever since. And so if God's call in our life is perfection, and we see that things like anger and murder are equally detestable by God, then we can easily say that nobody in this room is perfect. So from the very beginning, we can level the playing field. Romans 3, chapter 9, or Romans chapter 3, 9 through 24 puts it this way. It says that, it says that, um, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They all have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will ever be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of a sin. I'm going to stop right there because it gets a little confusing. But what it's basically saying is that because of God's law, our relationship with God can't exist at the same time. His law demands perfection. Our lot in life is that we are far from perfect. And so the craziest thing is that because of God's law and God's demand for perfection being what it was and his inability to have really that changed otherwise, God devised a plan to kind of circumvent his own law. He designed this Jesus, this this Messiah that came. And then we see in 21... But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law of the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption by the, uh, that came by Christ Jesus. And so, from the very beginning, I want us to understand that in this room, This conversation is not to people who want to be a better Christian because there's no such thing as a better Christian. This conversation is not to people uh, who want to have God love them more because God can't love us more. He loves us as much as he does all the time, regardless of our action. He loves us the same. But the implications of this conversation is that if God has impacted me, it should show itself in my lifestyle, in my decisions, in my choices. One of the things that I find... Oftentimes, the most convicting question to ask myself is that if I were me, if I were watching my lifestyle, 
and I was mimicking the lifestyle that I chose from the times where I'm in public or the times I'm in private, if somebody was mimicking that, would they actually grow closer to God? If somebody followed you alongside you and mimicked what you did outside of this environment, would they draw closer to God? Or is, is this the environment that you address your relationship with God and, and that's the environment that you address your relationship with yourself and, and you kind of try to separate the two? See, these little things have a huge impact. The problem for me, though, as I said at the beginning, remains, unfortunately, with this word, obedience. Now, obedience has, I think, completely been taken captive uh, in our world today as being wholly negative uh, and, and essentially undesired. Obedience, as I said, is referred to like, oh, this dog is very obedient. He minds what I say. Um, or if we were to be obedient, that means that we would be choosing somebody else over ourselves. And why would we want to do that? And I get it that by the world standards, obedience sounds rough. It sounds lame. It sounds very uninspiring. But the tough thing is that scripturally, obedience is so beautiful and so incredible. And obedience led to Christ. Obedience led to grace. Obedience led to forgiveness. It says in Philippians that Jesus was obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That God, who was blameless and perfect, died out of obedience to himself. And so when I get that picture of obedience, when I get that understanding of what God did in obedience, it makes it very easy for me to rationalize with myself that maybe I would be willing to get a worse grade on a test if God was willing to die a death that he didn't deserve. And that I would be willing to take the grade that I deserve because God took the grave that I deserve. And and can I get a come on to that one right there? Let me get one more come on. Let me get a Thank you. And that's what it is, is that our desire, our, our lot in life is always going to be working against God's desire and in in God's lot for our life. Um, and that only through him are we able to even be obedient. And so there's no uh, sense of I'm going to try harder because I'm going to pull up myself by my boot, bootstraps and, and do this. But only through Jesus are we even able to approach obedience. And so the second thing I want to point out to you is that we are obedient Because Christ was obedient. God's calling on our life to be obedient is, thankfully, not often to go to the cross like Jesus did. Now, there's people that are persecuted, that are truly persecuted in other countries where their obedience to God has led to their death, their physical death on this earth. But obedience in God is is so much greater than obedience to ourselves, time and time again. I think oftentimes we think of obedience, and maybe you've heard this church word before of, of legalism, that, well, if I'm going to obey what God says, that, isn't that just like legalism? Isn't that just following God's rules uh, just for the sake of being a better Christian? And it's just not true. Like, legalism is legalism only if you believe that what you're doing earns God's love. If you say, okay, if I read my Bible twice today, God's more happy with me. If I tell somebody about Jesus tomorrow, God's more happy with me or he loves me more. And that's not the case. If, if you're obedient for the sake of honoring God and obedient for the sake of showing others his impact in your life, obedience is a holy, awesome, incredible thing and is a worthwhile pursuit. Obedience in and of itself is a very good thing. Obedience of itself is, is a very good thing. And, and I've seen it play out with consistent obedience. And what I've 
said at the very beginning with that, um, that small acts of obedience lead to a great change or have a great impact, as I've seen in my own life. So the degree to which I'm willing to be or maintain obedience in the small things makes it that much easier for me to do the same thing in the big things, in the harder times, in the more difficult situations. And a more easier um, explanation might be something like this, that, you know, if I have a relationship with my girlfriend right here, and she's so beautiful, and we have this awesome, incredible relationship, and we've decided for ourselves that there's going to be a very hard boundary line in our relationship on the physical side, and we're not going to cross that line. And so uh, it's our first date, and it's real easy. We don't even get near that line. So happy. It's so great. Second date, still happening. It's all good. You know, 10 or 15 dates down the line, it starts to get a little bit more difficult, but we're remaining obedient. And, you know, there's a time when her parents are home, and we're just hanging out. And so even then, we remained obedient. And then when the hard time comes, when it's homecoming, and both of us has had too much to drink, because of my obedience in all these other moments in my life, in our relationship, it makes that moment of obedience all the more easy. Now, the hard thing with that truth is that it remains, or it remains true in both directions. And so if I'm consistently disobedient with the small things, it's going to make it all the more difficult to be obedient or it would just make it that much more easy to remain disobedient in the big things. I could put it to you like this, that, you know, you think of something like pornography. And, and for a lot of guys or girls that struggle with, with pornography, they have this sense that, well, that exists in a vacuum. That, you know, my time in front of that computer screen, my time in front of the television or whatever it's happening, you know, that it only affects right then. It only affects me. It has no ramifications outside of that environment at all. And quite frankly, this... It's false that there's so many, like, long-term relationships, marriages much further down the line that are paying for the disobedience of pornography, that you've come up with this idea of what intimacy looks like and what love looks like from a computer screen and what love looks like with, uh, you know, whatever they do, and then your goal is, okay, well, that has to get reenacted, that has to get mimicked in my own relationship, and that until that kind of thing is played out in the way that I've seen it before, then I really haven't gotten to enjoy uh, intimacy with my, with my partner or with my spouse. And so what you see is that you've got to kind of take it both sides and that there would be a willingness in us to be obedient because it's leading to uh, a greater return. The thing that I want to cover all of this in, and I think I've said it already, but is that no act of obedience and no act of disobedience changes God's love for you. Grace is still king over everything, all the time, every time. And one of the things that I love about my job here at the church is I've had a few opportunities to speak to you guys. And early on, it was, it was I think a lot of times I thought, okay, well, this is really cool because this is a subject that I'm getting to talk about that I'm actually excited about, and so I'm really cool. I'm really stoked to be in front of you guys. But the more and more that I've gotten the chance to speak to you guys, I've just realized more and more that the excitement is not necessarily reserved to the subject matter, but it's reserved to Jesus, and it's reserved to what he's done in my life. And so even something like obedience and disobedience or that grace is so amazingly better than anything I've ever done, it pumps me up. It pumps me up so much that I know that even if tomorrow I fail, at what I'm trying to imply and impart onto myself today, God still loves me. And that if I succeed tomorrow and fail the following day, he still loves me. So grace is still king over all of this. 
So if you ask yourself, you know, what does the gospel have to do with the small things? The answer is everything. You see it like this in chapter, or in in Colossians, if you want to turn there with me, chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. In my Bible, it's page 822, if you have the same Bible as me. And I encourage you to either read along with me or read along on the screen because it's another longer section, but we're reading verses 1 through 10. And this is why we would choose obedience. This is, this is why we would choose to honor God. Starting in verse 1. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on early things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will, also be, you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to you, earthly, or whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these and rid yourself uh, of all anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with all of its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Guys, all those things that they say there, I would probably deem in my life often as small things. Anger, slander, those aren't things that really cross the threshold of my mind of, oh, I really disobeyed God's will for my life because I gossip about that person or uh, I, I made that joke in the locker room. But our little acts of obedience matter big time. The little opportunities is what they become. Or these acts of obedience actually, as you realize, um, become opportunities and that a really awesome shift happens when you realize that that's what they are. That I think a lot of times, and I've said this before, that temptation, that word temptation, or when you feel like you're tempted, it almost kind of feeds into itself and you feel like you've already failed if you've been tempted. But what I would hope is that we would begin to change the word temptation to opportunity because what a temptation is, is the moment in which we're, we're pulled between two directions, between what God wants for our life and what we want for our life. And so in the same way, these opportunities is what they become, where what would it look like for you to stand up for somebody who's getting made fun of? What would it look like if you didn't participate in the pre-gaming before homecoming? You know, it, it probably would ultimately lead to some tough conversations and, and strains on some relationships. Because the bottom line is I know that this isn't easy. I know that none of this it's easy, but if we want to be mature in our faith, if we want to be mature with our relationship with God, we can't baby it. God's teachings are harsh because God's love is so strong. And his, his desire for us is so much more than we even realize. Like, the good things that you want in your life, God wants them even more than you do. And he wants something even greater than what you want for you. And I know that a lot of you right now, you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, well, Cole, you don't understand because... I'm going through my head right now of all these different ways that I mess up routinely. 
um, like whether it's copying someone's homework, whether it's breaking dress code, and you're kind of going through your week right now, and it seems impossible that there would ever be anything different than the lifestyle that you've already built up over time. But the truth is, is that you got to where you are, and I got to where I am because of consistent decisions outside of God's will. And so to get back to that place would be consistent decisions with God's will. And that God's goals, God's desires that I just mentioned that he has for you, yes, they're huge and yes, they're awesome, but they're made up of hundreds of small decisions of honoring him along the way. And so instead of thinking of tomorrow or thinking of next week as like a thousand things that I can't do right, think of the one thing that you can Think of the one, the first period class and how honoring your teacher in a way that exemplifies God's love and impact in your life would look with how you prepare for your homework, how you prepare for a test. As Ryan said last week, this has nothing to do with what grades you get. It has everything to do with the character in which you reflect yourself with in your schoolwork. And different than Ryan, like I loved school. I loved being there. I had a great time. I never missed a day. That's actually one thing that's pretty cool. Um, From kindergarten to senior year, I I had perfect attendance my whole schooling career. And yet, I know I was horrible. I would would act out in class. I would get everybody distracted. I would talk to my friends. I would goof off. I would make fun of the teacher. I would, at one point I sang to Bryce in school. I sang his whole song. And then instead of getting in trouble, when my teacher made me call my mom, I made fun of my teacher on the phone so that the whole class laughed. And then the teacher kind of was like, oh, okay, this is fine. And so in all these ways, like it's, it's, it's laughable to agree to a degree, but it's way more depressing. And like, what could have been my legacy of honoring God with the decisions in my life if I had known this or bought into this or believed that all these little small insignificant things were significant. It may seem insurmountable, but the principle of the path remains the same. Big goals comprised of small steps and that we're working towards what God wants for our life. And so a tough question that I want you to ask yourself is one that I said at the beginning is, Does God exist outside of my Sunday? Does God live outside of my Sunday? And I think a lot of times for me, the answer was no. I wasn't necessarily the most active one in the conversation of joking around about ridiculous things, but like by association, I sat alongside as the conversations happened. I, I didn't necessarily like, I wasn't the lead contributor in doing the misbehaving all the time, but a lot of times I was adding on or God didn't exist outside of my Sunday. Or maybe for some of you, you need to ask yourself that in light of where I hope to be, what decision should I make with blank? And so that blank could be anything from Homecoming to homework. If I want to be known as, this, as a student that honors God, then I'm going to honor God in my homework. I'm going to honor God with decisions I make at a dance. I'm going to honor God with decisions I make after school. I'm going to honor God all throughout my week. Now, for a lot of you out there, maybe this is something that 
seems very weird or very strange. And why would I care so much about the way that I behave myself or the way that I carry myself? Um, and the truth for you might be that you haven't come to this realization of, of God's love and God's desire for your life. And maybe you haven't bought into the fact that he wants you more than you even know. And so my hope tonight would be that for some of you, that you would start with these little decisions with a very big decision. And decide for yourself that I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of trying to um, be obedient for the sake of being obedient. That I want to trust on God's desire for my life, God's will for my life, God's plan for my life, God's motivations for my life. And buy into that tonight. And so in a minute here, I'm going to give those of you who are out there right now that maybe you're kind of turning in your seat the opportunity to accept Christ's love. A love that I said earlier that was obedient to the point of death because he wanted you far more than he was willing to protect himself. That his death in our life was an easy trade for him to make because of what he gained in us. And us that are consistently disobedient and consistently act outside of his will. But thank goodness his grace is even bigger than all of that. So don't let that grace slip past you. Because the truth of it is that although it is completely presented to humanity across all accounts, it says that even in the Bible we read earlier tonight, that neither Jew nor Gentile, there's no difference, that God's love is for all of humanity. But our response is whether or not we accept it. A gift is only gained if you accept it. It's free, but you have to say yes. You have to want it. And so as everybody closes their eyes and bows their heads, if that's you, if God's working on your heart right now and he's saying, I want more from you. I want more from your school life. I want more from your relationship with me. Not because having more or or being a better Christian is the goal that we're setting, but because honoring God is the goal that we want. So if that's you tonight, if you've never come to that decision in your life, I want you to do something bold enough right now. And this in no way qualifies you in in a, a next level Christian thing or anything, but I want you to raise your hand. I want you to acknowledge to yourself your own disobedience. The Bible says that if you believe that Christ Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the grave, then you will be saved. That's all it takes. So right now, as we pray, if that's you, I want you to pray alongside me. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you were willing to give up everything for me. God, I ask and I invite you into my heart. God, I pray, Father, for you to impact me in a way that impacts others. I pray that you would foster this relationship, God, that you've been wanting for so long. And you would grow it into something great. So, God, I pray, Father, and ask for your forgiveness, God. And I welcome you into my heart. Amen. Keep your heads down for one minute. So for those of you also who are out there, that this isn't necessarily news to you, that you know that God loves you, that you know that God died for you, that you know that his forgiveness is for you.
But you also know that the past few semesters of school have in no way reflected a relationship with God. Understanding completely that same grace covers it. Like it's not, it's not an issue of what we've done wrong. And tomorrow in no way has to be a reflection of yesterday, that we can choose tomorrow to begin to honor God with our decisions, with our lifestyle, with our choices. So if that's you out there tomorrow, if that's you out there, if tomorrow you want to be a different you than you were last week, if your desire is to honor God in all avenues of your life, I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, thank goodness that you are good. That your love is far greater than our mistakes. That your love is far greater than anything that we could ever do. God, that infinite gap that we created through sin was infinitely replaced, God, by your love. So God, I pray, Father, for these students in this room and for myself, God, that we would enter tomorrow with a desire and a notion of what would it look like to honor God in everything. What would it look like to honor God with the way that I have breakfast? That I prepare for a test? That I practice alongside my teammates? That we begin to ask ourselves, what would it look like for God, for you to exist outside of our Sundays? God, change us in a way that only you can. We pray this in your name, amen.